0: Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for Stage 13 of the Vuelta, uh, where I don't know, nearly two thirds the way through the race, and it's a transition day. That's what we'd call it in the Tour de France. It's 170 kilometers long. No categorized climbs. They were inland, uh, but going south. I think in Andalusia, bypassing Malaga. There are some decent climbs around there, but not today. Uh, that'll be tomorrow and on the uh, Sunday. There is an interesting little finish. It's one of those ones. It's not a pure sprint stage. It wasn't going to be a breakaway stage. Just an interesting sort of shallow gradient drag of like 4% and then an uphill kick of, I don't know, 650 meters, 5%, a couple of turns like at right angles. But it's it's not one for the punchers. Maybe P. Caliphali. Even then, it's probably still a little bit too easy for him. Pedersen was a favourite of the stage. uh, But as always, the show is brought to you by Zwift. Zwift season is truly here, given that there's literally hail outside my door right now. Fortunately, it's not golf ball size like it was elsewhere. Uh, But yeah, autumn is here in the Northern Hemisphere. Zwift has a raft of updates Landing soon. So, if you want to fire up the account again or get a new subscription with a free seven day trial, head to Zwift.com. There's training series like Zwift Academy, which has registration open now. So, there's never been a better time to give indoor training a shot. So, go to Zwift.com through the link down below for that. But, Benji, no break of no serious break, rather. It was a sprint the minute we turned on the TV today.
1: Yeah, exactly. We had that typical breakaway where we expected it to be potentially Spanish Conti riders or a bigger break that could go for the stage. It was partially the first one, as in it had two Conti Spanish riders, but there was also a uh, another rider from EF, Julius van den Berg, also in this breakaway, together with Okamika and Jean Bou. So yeah, that's the breakaway. I decided to pack it up. I decided to have my siesta for once, and I... um arrived back with about 20 kilometers and turned out nothing has happened in the meanwhile. So, I uh, also got my break day in during this Velta basically. But hey, we were looking like a sprint would happen because the gap had gone up to like three minutes, but controlled by multiple teams like Trek. I think Bike Exchange was doing so as well. So, basically, the teams would expect to control a stage like this. I think Kofidis had a hand in it as well. We got cars still being in this race at this very moment. And... The gap was going down a minute with about 20 kilometers to go. When you see that, it's like, okay, they're they're getting caught. eh? So, break was called with about 14 kilometers to go is my rough guess from my memory. So, we had a sprint coming up, and it felt like it was odd because, I don't know, you had sprint teams trying to get their sprinters to the front, but also you had other riders at the front, like... A Nibali would be at the front with a Battistella in the wheel because a Battistella would think, okay, perhaps this finish would also fit me. And it would add more riders that wouldn't necessarily go on a flat sprint also to the to the game, but also included the generic GC teams keeping their riders at the front. What did you notice in the run-in towards the sprint?
0: Yeah, it was well, what I noticed was I was like, it's a shame any don't have Sheffield here or I don't know. It felt like to me a finesse or attack could have worked on this finish because the favorite Pedersen just has Kirsch. Um, Van Poppel has had Mullen working all day. Teams don't have four domestiques each. I thought a finesse or attack had a really good chance, but there's actually not that guy here like a Laporte. On that stage he, he uh, stole. So, yeah, it was all about position, who was going to go too early. I was also thinking, what what are, you, what are you going to do? Because when they got it right in Tour of Poland, it'll uphill finish maybe even sharper than this. Milano let out Ackerman and it was perfection and they cleaned. I don't know, where, Ackerman won, I think Milano might have still come second or top five. And I thought Ackerman's actually always been underrated on little uphill drags. He's good on them, but... Yeah, those two Milano. I checked the tape, Benji. Where you mentioned when Milano was leading out, he was leading out. Look back, saw Ackerman wasn't there, and I would say he did the right thing. Then he just went for his own sprint on the Sprint yep. Groves one the other day. So they their chemistry has not been great um, at all for Yumbo. I was thinking, who are they going to go for? Is it Rollish bonus seconds or Mike Turnerson's very very handy on a finish like this? Remember, it's still a sprint. It's just. Uphill draft is still important. They're yeah. still going 45Ks an hour or 40Ks an hour. And Israel, I was like, are they going to go for Impey or Bevan? So I was just a lot of questions, um, basically. And Van Poppel as well, Benji. I feel like he almost got a little bit overrated today because he doesn't have Danny Van Poppel, and that makes a huge, huge difference. Um, what did you see in the run into the into the finish?
1: I was looking at Alpesin for a bit because while Jumbo and Ineos were taking it up on like the uphill section going into the last four kilometers, they were trying to keep their GC riders to the front and perhaps for Jumbo also go for the stage here or there. It seemed like Alpesin was moving up on the right side in a way that didn't really work out for them. First, they had two riders move up, which was not Merlier and so forth. It was also not the last man in front of Merlier, but the two riders in front of that. So they moved up. And then we had Merlier sitting a bit further who did not follow those two riders with his last man behind him. Then his last man came past him to try and move Merlier to the front, but then Merlier didn't follow his wheel. So Merlier just basically stayed in the same position until the sprint came up. And by then he was too far to remotely do anything. Also, let's be honest about it. This finish wouldn't have fit for him in my personal opinion. I think it's too hard for Merlier compared to other sprinters here, but it's not ideal to have a situation where Merlier is the one that is supposed to be in the wheel of his lead out and he just doesn't follow any of the riders that move up from his team. So I don't know what happened there. I don't know if he was too scared for a gap to be too tiny or something like that, but that wasn't working out for them and that was just not going to happen. Groves tried to move up in the same fashion on the right side of the road and at a certain point I felt like that was going to work out, but then on the other side, I felt like in the last four kilometers, Ineos was also still pushing forward with. Rodriguez and with Gegenhard in the wheel of Clock and Van Barle, and then it was was it Yambo that started properly kicking it off yeah. into one of the corners.
0: There's a little uphill, then a quick descent, then they turn right into a corner, and then it's uphill and snakes round, and it goes to the left with 200 to go. You can't see where the finish line is uh, with about 250 to go. Maybe that makes a a big difference in this finish. Uh, but, yeah, Yumbo smashed on the right-hand side. Pedersen's in okay position. Van Poppel, Groves are fighting for his wheel. UAE eventually claim it with Ackerman in front of Milano. Uh, Roglic loses his man's wheel, and I thought it was deliberate because he was getting his last man was leading him out with 600 metres to go. That's way too early uphill. And I thought, oh, I'll lose the man's wheel and then other people close it, you reestablish your position in about fifth wheel, and then you can sprint from there whilst they're having to do more work. Uh, but Roglic, he, he does this quite often. He just closed the gap himself, and that cost him uh, a good chance of this sprint. Pedersen goes to the front. Roglic and the jumbo rider pull off. Ackerman in his wheel. Camera angle changes. Suddenly we see from the front, with like 30 seconds left in this sprint, Ackerman has launched in the hoods, Pedersen's jumped to his wheel. It surprised everyone else before this left-hand corner. Van Poppel-Groves gets squeezed into eternity. Korkar's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> Pedersen takes the, gra- the draft of Ackerman who launched. like He might not have known where the finish line was. He needed If he had a lead out for I, – I thought if Milano comes fast with speed or one of them, I don't care which, just one of them leads out the other, like a Van Poppel – Whilst Pedersen stalled on the right, if they hit with speed on the left, that's going to give them a really good chance of winning this. But Ackerman just launched his sprint, and Pedersen gets the draft and absolutely cleans him up. Cockard's finished well. He loves these little drags, like in Tour de la Provence, to Manosque. He, he won that stage, I think, this year. He eventually came second for the 40 UCI points. Ackerman, third, <laughs> right, fourth, Van Poppel, fifth, Pacher sixth, Esquerra, 7th Van Hills, 8th, Roglic, ninth, and Berada. And Galvan, 10th and 11th on a keeper, Kern Farmer. Not a stage I remember for the rest of my life, but um, <laughs> I guess Pedersen gets it done and asks the question again, Benji, can he hold this form for world championships? Is there much left in the parkour for him? Um, What would you do if you were him?
1: Well, about that, can he hold this form for World Championships? I think he can, but uh he's not on the Danish list. He's not selected. And I think it was his own decision, but I'm not sure about it. I think they are going for riders like Søren Krandersen, Skelmos, and riders like that, a and a Kortz, and they don't have Peterson on the list for the selection for the World Championships. So regardless of whether he's in form or not for it, I guess we will never know. And that's a bit unfortunate, because I would have loved to see this form of a Mess Pedersen at least try, because it's not the same as a Caleb Ewan, you know? Like, with Mess Pedersen, he became world champion on a parkour that was consecutive hills, right? It was not as hard as Wollongong, yeah. though. It's different, but it's still consecutive hills. And with a Ewan, I think the consecutiveness of those hills would have been an issue for a Ewan. Like, on, one Mount Patterson's Pleasant, a pure
0: classic rider as well. Yeah. Like, And he's just... When he's in shape, his fitness, he's just really, really impressive. There's also, though, I just looked while you were speaking, there's three more stages he can win. Madrid in 21, uh, maybe stage 19. it Maybe, maybe. It's a little bit hard. And stage uh, 16 as well. Looks like one he could possibly win too. So, and he wants the green jersey at the to the points jersey. Whether that's worth going for world champs as a rider like of his caliber, I'm not sure. Um, but it's a big trip. I think if it was in not in Australia, it might be a little yeah. bit different. Um, the Australian trip makes a big difference. Cockard said he was going to leave as well to go and hunt points, which I think is a bit of a shame. I don't know if he will after this stage. I don't think the welter should allow that, frankly. Like riders leaving a grand tour to just go chase points while the welter's on. Um Now, maybe he's just going to rest for a week and a half and then chase them after the Vuelta. That's fine. (laughs) Um, Anything else from this stage, Benji? I would have liked to have seen Penalva do it from Burgos, but he didn't start the Vuelta. Um, uh, Impey, 15th. (laughs) uh, Who else? Uh, Melier, Melier. What's – is he – is there an issue with Melier? Is it motivation at the end
1: of the Alpersen contract? Is Lefebvre worried yet? I think this was positioning like I've spoken about the Alphazen train earlier where they had trouble making Merlier's way forward in this stage and first of all this parkour is too hard to win for Merlier like I don't see it and next to that if you can't get him to the front before this final hill comes up then you also won't have it happen so just positioning on this parkour not getting him to the front not necessarily the team's fault either because there were moments where Merlier didn't go to the front himself and he could so decision making on that regard, not trusting his lead out completely here. I think those are all details that might mark why a is not competitive on this parkour today. But I'll be honest about it. You said it. It's not the the most uh, enthusiastic stage. Let's let's call it that. I do like seeing Fred Wright and Contempa share in the in the top six, especially because I called Fred Wright from the breakaway and didn't name anyone for the sprint. So I. I'm happy to at least see my breakaway guy do decent in the sprint. You got it right with Mess Obviously, he was the favorite, but I still want to give you credit for that. But um, I think Bennett I don't know. would
0: have cleaned this up. I think yeah. Bennett and his legs would have smashed this um, with Van Popper leading him out. What about Jakobsen? You think he makes it? I always find these mixed ones really interesting to see who can do. It. Like Philipson, yes, Tick, we think he can do yeah. this finish. Jakobsen, maybe he's in the middle yep. camp. I don't know. Ewan's quite good on these two little, you know, like a pocket rocket. Anyway, no changes on GC uh, points wise. Pedersen, he's on two fifty. Soler's on ninety six. He's winning <laughs> that jersey. Uh, no change in KOM, and UAE still leading teams. Uh, tomorrow's stage is finishing on Sierra de la Bandera, first of two mountaintop finishes on the weekend. It only it's a pretty, pretty soft start beforehand, actually eighty about a hundred Ks of flat. There's a cat three that's ten K's, three and a half percent, descent. Then uh they've broken up so that Pandera you can approach from Uh, the south or the north. Last time they did it, they approached it from the south, from Cheyenne, which I think was a little bit of an easier approach with a longer gap between the two climbs. But they did the Puerto de los Vilares, which is 10 k's, 5.5%, a very short, maybe five-minute rest, maybe less, and then Pandera, 86 k, 7.5%. It is a little bit of a fake news climb because there's literally a descent in the last section of it, um, you'll remember last time this was used, I think Lopez got a small gap and Froome and co. were chasing behind and there weren't huge gaps. But there's two hard kilometres, uh, 115 and 12% in the fifth and sixth kilometres, uh, so maybe, maybe we see some attacks there. It pretty much is... 18, 19 kilometers of continual climbing. Um, so it, it is It is a long effort, um, similar to Pena's Blanca's the other day, actually a little bit harder at the end. So
1: what do you reckon, Benji? I think it has to be break again because who's going to chase? Exactly. I think it's a similar situation as Pena's Blanca's. There could be the thing where the initial breakaway formation takes so long that it might give an opportunity for the peloton to be so close to the finish line that they think, okay, some team might pick it up like in Astana for a Lopez. But I think that's more likely with the Sierra Nevada stage. I think when it comes to the breakaway, I'm looking at a few candidates. I expect the evrider to be in there. They are all in like, there's three of them in like 17th. Am I correct? GC? Yes. 17th, 18th, and 20th in GC on 11 minutes. Uh, 13 minutes and 15 minutes. So that's the kind of distance you want when you want to go in the breakaway, have some leeway, and then perhaps hop into the top 10 by accident by the end, like Kelderman did on stage uh, on Peñas Blancas. But I'm going to go for El chaguero for a second one because he's lost three minutes today. And I think that's on purpose to lose three more minutes to be on 15 minutes as well to get in the breakaway tomorrow. What do you think?
0: That's not a bad shout. I mean... It's there's a lot of musical chairs, isn't there? I'm looking like because <laughs> even a doesn't care, and so are uh, Ineos go, uh, and UAE going to chase for to stop the EF riders getting in the break because uh, they'll be threatening Almeida's eighth position on GC. I think David de la Cruz wins tomorrow's stage. Uh, he was very strong in week three of the Vuelta last year. My concern is he doesn't frequently get in breakaways, uh, nor does he does the flat start suit him. But yeah, I think I think De La Cruz yeah. did. I'm just checking where he finished. Ah, so he he beat Hinley. He finished just ahead of O'Connor, just behind Almeida on Peñas Blancas. So G C competitive, that's what we're looking for here. Um I think he's a big chance from the break. Menke's Again, he's yeah. on 11-15. Why wouldn't he get in the break? Valverde has to get in the break, has to <laughs> for points and right and try and move up on GC. So there could be and Padun, It's just musical chairs everywhere with the with the GC. Pozzo, Iguita, like wow. Landa is he still here? Landa's still here? So there's so <laughs> many options. We we should see a huge break tomorrow again with Soler. Reichenbach, Pino can never make a break to save his life. He's got to get in tomorrow. Maida, Agita, Louis Leon, J Vine, Pozzo, Carapaz, Paduun, the EF guys, as Benji mentioned. Um, and, yeah, what about i G- uh, Who do I think will win? Rain Tarameh, I think, will win from the break. I think he goes clear on the steeper sections. If he, He's just going to make it in. Uh, I think he wins
1: okay when it comes to GC I don't have too many expectations necessarily different from stage we already had because it's kind of similar like you said to a Penas Blanca stuff like that we might see similar types of scenarios happening on a climb like that now with this climb it's it's just intriguing you know because you've you've also got that like valley part in the middle so that's kind of a point where if a group is smaller at the front that some people might start coming back a tiny bit some people might find a second wind with GC wise but I just don't expect the craziest differences on Sierra La Pandera, And maybe I'm making a mistake in that. Maybe an even will drop everybody again. But I kind of feel like we might just see one of the GC riders lose time or two of them in the top eight-ish. But for the rest, I I don't expect major gaps GC-wise. What's your take there?
0: Yeah, I kind of agree. It could just be quick step pacing. I think Lopez will try and sneak away and get a few seconds. Movistar will mark him. Um. yeah, I wonder if if Yambo just paced because Avonapol had the crash the other day, then who else will pace? Movistar, will they try and get riders in the breakaway to be a satellite rider for Mars? I would suggest yes. If I was Mars, I would really, with, with the altitude on Sunday, I think you really have to be aggressive tomorrow because Roglic is better than him to altitude typically. And I think he needs to... Attack on the steeper section of Pandera. If even goes with him, if Lopez goes with him, it doesn't matter. Try and move up in GC would be what I would do if I was, if I must. Whether he commits to it, I'm not so sure. But GC day, I think Taramey wins anyway. The big news of today actually was, unfortunately, COVID once again. Juana Yuso testing positive for COVID on a PCR. Uh, but remaining in the Vuelta, Simon Yates, symptomatic, removed from the Vuelta last week. Uh, Pavel Sivakov, asymptomatic, uh, left the Vuelta last week. Both were in the top 10 on GC. And I guess this happened in the Tour de France with uh, Jungels, who won a stage, and Micah, who pulled on Grenoble. But maybe explain, could you explain to people, Benji, I guess, what the process is? Is and how it's working in ASO races because in the Giro I don't believe this is the case.
1: Exactly. Basically, just before the Tour de France, the UCI decided to change their policy in regards to COVID, and it wouldn't just be: oh, you're positive, you're out; you're negative, you can stay in. It's not just that anymore. They made their system basically like this. We won't give any medical takes here, but this is what the process is being called. So when you do a PCR test, there's this thing called the RT-PCR. I won't go into the details of that. I will just say that there's now an extra thing to it, a number, a value that defines how COVID you are. (laughs) That's actually like crazy thing to say, but that number evaluates how infectious you are to be deemed. And that number is being decided by the amount of cycles in a process. So they're doing a, a testing process on your PCR test and the amount of cycles They need to go through with that process to find it viral enough to be considered positive and properly infectious. And the less cycles necessary to get to that amount of virality needed to be considered that specific amount of virality. I don't know the specific threshold there. That means the higher your infection risk is. The lower the cycles, the higher your infection risk. And... When we reach X amount of cycles, you are indeed considered infectious enough to be out of the race, and this is where it gets interesting, because the test takes time to be done, and I've heard from I think it was Sam Bennett that said at some point the day before he was taken out of the race, or actually the day that he was taken out of the race when he DNSed because of COVID, that he was waiting in the bus and pinning his numbers just before the race, waiting for the results of his viral load, which this number is called, and this value um, basically he was waiting still on that and eventually he was out of the race. I don't know if he actually got that number before the race or he got that after he was already out of the race. So it's interesting for some teams it comes in in time. For some teams, it seems to come in just too late. but when it comes to UAE, the special thing is that muchin came out this morning and he said, we've actually got our own PCR testing method or our machine in-house that causes us to be able to analyze that viral load ourselves. And because of that, they were on time to be able to see when it comes to Yuzo, that he was on paper, not infectious enough. And they went with that to the consolation, like the console, which in the UCI rules is stated that once you figure out the viral load, you go to the UCI doctor, the organizers doctor, and your own team doctor. Those three become like the, the doctor Avengers for a second, and they decide based on majority vote, if you can start or not. And I'm guessing with Yungles that was the case, with Micah that was the case, and with Ayuso that was the case that the viral load was not high enough on their RT-PCR testing process. Compared to, for example, the other riders that stepped out of the race. Now, there's also, I think Herada said, on, said something on Twitter about some riders that are waiting longer for their RTPCR viral load results to come in. And the question there is then my take on this when it comes to UAE for a second, and when it comes to the UCI policy, do you think it's fair that when a specific policy Is stated in the uci rules the specific policy that the viral load matters and is deciding whether a rider can stay in the race or not that that is not by default equally available for all teams
0: yeah i'm surprised that um like it's smart that ua have their machine like i don't know how much they cost but if it means your guy can, who's a top GC rider can stay in the race, that's it's going to pay for itself pretty quickly. But, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm surprised that teams, because like in equipo Kern Farmer, they've had guys leaving left, right, and center that maybe they can't afford the machine. Like, is there a machine available that is available to everybody but it just takes too long? And then by the time you get the results back, like surely the race Doctor has one at their disposal that they're carrying around. I don't know. So, so to understand, the less cycles necessary so to find the viral load threshold, that means you're more infectious and the reverse yep. is true. So Ayuso didn't reach that threshold and the independent organizers' doctor, UCI's medical doctor, and the team's doctor decided to keep him in or by majority vote. So I guess there's also the case that other teams might just not do this and they just have an internal rule that yeah. you test positive for COVID, you're out of the race for your own health or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's the case with Ineos. They don't, they don't say on the – when goes out, you know, he said he was asymptomatic. It doesn't say his viral load or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm surprised. I feel like this is going to be – they're going to solidify this next year because – there's been so many COVID positives this world and I'm I would be surprised if um I would be surprised if Iuso was the only one of those people to be testing non-infectious, if that's a random way of saying that.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. Obviously, not a doctor. Wanna keep uh declaring that, but there's also an interesting aspect that a few people brought up on Twitter today where Ayuso, I think three or two days ago, I think just before the time trial came out and said that he was feeling ill and was surprised that he did not test positive when it comes to his COVID test. And I think I read somewhere that he tested three times negative, but was feeling ill. And the obvious rumor now, the obvious theory of people now is, oh, he had COVID and now only the leftovers are being tested positive. But yeah, this is how the rules work. eh? He was tested negative. He was feeling ill. We don't know if that illness was related to COVID at that time. The tests say no. We don't know if that test was 100% conclusive because not every test is. But on paper, he was negative during that time. So the rules declare that he doesn't need to be put out of the race at that moment. Now he is positive. But what is in his system when it comes to COVID is not COVID enough to get him out of the race. So people are like saying, oh, does that mean he had COVID and so forth? We don't know, eh? Like, we, we can never know that. I don't think we'll ever figure out that. I mean, but- it seems pretty likely.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> the, I mean, it seems pretty likely. So what you're telling me is that whilst maybe symptomatic for COVID, he was smashing Rodriguez on mountaintop finishes. I mean, damn, that that's not looking good for your boy this weekend. Oh. Uh, he's going to be Rodriguez, although he beat him in the TT. But now i got an excuse for that TT. So, I, I, you know, that's great. I think – Uh, For bike exchange, it's not bittersweet in the sense that Yates couldn't continue. It was nothing to do with viral load testing. Yates was sick. Um, So he was out regardless of this. Sivakov, I'm not sure. I don't know if if there's an internal Ineos rule about it as well. So it's a bit of a mess. Um, They're probably with teams taking different positions on it even next year, there probably won't be like, it's clear that UAE have taken the position that if the rider wants to continue, they're not symptomatic and they don't breach the viral load threshold, they can continue like Micah and Ayuso in the Tour and the Vuelta, as well as AG2R with Jungles in the, in the Tour de France. So yeah, it's just another sort of data point in how the sport is going to continue managing or not very well managing (laughs) <laughs> uh COVID but I don't know it seemed they got to sort out that that testing machine thing because it does seem yeah. unfair that the if the smaller teams can't access it that half their team's gone without maybe you know
1: benefiting from it
0: but yeah any last thoughts on are you Benji I mean I'm just going to assume his performance will be fine from here on out
1: yeah I guess that's what we have to assume eh? we we don't know how much influence was and will be when it comes to that we will just see what he brings on those climbs. And I think it's gonna be similar than the days we had before, unless he's at the at the precipice of getting proper COVID. That is just him getting into COVID, then he might be out at a certain point. We don't know that. Let's hope he's not. Let's hope he keeps on kicking. Let's hope we see him on the road in the in a few days. One more thing I have that is actually a question, like I don't actually know, is we see that he is being tested as a positive right now. And this is not on a rest day, so this is an in-team test, most likely. Now, I'm pretty sure the rule says that teams only need to test on rest days now. If you're UAE, like, do you expect them to test every single day until that rest day still? Or do you expect them to just do the test again on the rest day?
0: I think it sounds like they're always tests. UAE mm-hmm. do tests every day um, and did it at the Tour de France. So it sounds like UAE have a sort of more onerous testing regimen for COVID than other teams or than they are required to have, uh, which I guess is a good thing. Um, and so I'd expect them to, to keep keep yep. testing. What's What's curious though, Benji, is what happens if he keeps testing on the rapid test or whatever test they're using? He tests positive tomorrow and as you said, just positive tomorrow on it. Do they do the reverse viral load test again?
1: Because what think if so. what if
0: his viral they have to, right? Like what if yep. his viral load's gone up? Um, so they yep. have to keep doing that, I guess. Um otherwise you 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 keep in the race when he's infectious. So <laughs> yeah, very interesting. Um, hopefully it doesn't affect the GC battle any more than it already has. Uh, but yeah, Pandora tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Another mountaintop finish before Nevada. Thanks as always for listening to the show. Thanks to Swift for supporting LSCP always. And we'll see you with the recap tomorrow. Ciao.